Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Beyond the Valley. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Arjun Karpal here in London and we've uh, switched things up today with the with the backdrop. We like to change it up here on Beyond the Valley. Uh, today's episode, we're going to be talking about the politics of semiconductors. Uh, why are semiconductors so important? Well, the smartphone you may be watching this on or in your pocket or in your hand has some of the most advanced processors, semiconductors in the the world. But also, they're not just in your consumer electronics. They're in so many products you use day to day, a refrigerator, your microwave, cars as well. And that's why they're such critical technologies for us. But they're also key to potential future applications as well in areas such as artificial intelligence and the military uh, as well. So, so many use cases then. And that's why they've been dragged into a broader geopolitical battle between the US and China. They've always been a sensitive topic, but over the past few years, we've seen uh, really the tensions around semiconductors and technology more broadly between the two nations really ramp up under the former administration of President Donald Trump. Uh, you saw sanctions placed on Huawei, one of China's most important companies, a telecommunications giant, which effectively cut off their access to key chips, um, and that crippled their smartphone business. You've also seen the US put sanctions on SMIC, which is China's biggest contract chip manufacturer. Again, a critical company for the country's ambitions in the semiconductor space. Meanwhile, the US has been trying to boost its own domestic semiconductor industry uh, as well. We've covered this in other podcast episodes, which I urge you to go and listen to, where we talk about how the US has lost some of its leadership in manufacturing, how Asia, in particular two companies, TSMC in Taiwan and Samsung in South Korea, have really uh, dominated the most uh, advanced manufacturing of chips as well. But the US is really trying to catch up here and regain that leadership. It's past the uh, chips and Science Act, which unlocks around $52 billion worth of funding for the semiconductor industry, and is trying to reshore production as well. China, meanwhile, continues to throw money at its semiconductor industry, but still lags behind from a technological basis versus countries like the US and South Korea and Japan and countries in Europe as well. Japan, South Korea and Europe, meanwhile, all looking uh, to boost their own semiconductor prowess as well and past uh, acts that help uh, the semiconductor industry. Uh, and this really sets up the geopolitical landscape here. Um, you've got this perceived threat from many of these nations uh, of China. Um, there's an attempt to cut off China from uh, some key technologies, but also these countries are trying to form alliances with each other around semiconductors, another key technology. Um, as a grouping informally known as the Quad, which includes Australia, Japan, India, and the US. They've been talking about cooperating on semiconductors uh, as well. South Korea is involved as well. And it's not really clear at this point how those uh, sort of cooperation might look, what they may do together, but clearly there's intent from these countries to try to work together on semiconductor supply chains. And that's going to be a key part of the discussion today. And I'm um, very uh, glad to introduce our guest for the episode, Pranay Kotastane. He is the chairperson for the high-tech geopolitics program at the Takshashila Institution. Pranay, thanks for joining me on Beyond the Valley. Thanks, Arjun. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, so let's kick off the discussion. Um, why 
is uh, why are semiconductors such a, an important technology? And also, why are we starting to see countries form alliances uh, around this technology? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, just around seven or eight years ago, I used to actually work in the semiconductor industry. And when people used to refer to the word technology, semiconductors were hardly discussed, you know, because even though they are so ubiquitous, the fact that they are ubiquitous sort of in the popular perception, their importance was very less understood because they were just there in the background. Uh, no one really cared about it. Right? So, But now we've seen that shift and everyone's talking about semiconductors. Semiconductors are actually metacritical, not just critical because and metacritical for three reasons, you know, because there is a geopolitical significance, there is an economic imperative, and third, there is also a technological imperative. By uh, geopolitical significance, what I mean is that the semiconductor supply chain is quite unique. It is globally, one of the most globally integrated supply chains. No one in the world can manufacture an entire semiconductor on their own. No country can. So they have to rely on many, many countries. The way it has developed over uh, the many years is that some country and some company in one country will do one part of it, specialize in it, get really good at it. Whereas uh, the other parts of that supply chain will be left to the other countries and other companies to develop and become better at, right? So that's why what, and that has given the uh, semiconductor industry a massive advantage. This sort of comparative advantage-based specialization has allowed it to develop by leaps and bounds, you know, right? Right in 1965, there were 64 transistors in uh, uh, in a chip, you know, and now we have reached 134 million per millimeter square transistors because of this specialization where uh, small, uh, where com companies do one specific part of the supply chain and get really, really good at it. So because of that reason, you know, uh, the expectations that we have from semiconductor technology is very different from what you would have from any other technology, you know, no other industry you would expect that things improve, uh, performance improves 2x every year, you know, I don't think there's any other industry, but in semiconductors it is. So anyways, because of this, what has happened is there are many companies spread across the world doing small part of it, which means there's a geopolitical uh, uh, angle to it, right? What if one company doesn't supply the things that you need? What if, you know, one of the countries sort of uh, puts things about espionage through chips, you know? So those things make it a geopolitical tool. Uh, so I like this statement by Vilishi from Harvard Business School, we, uh, who talks about it this as a st this structure is best thought of as a transcontinental relay race with hidden hurdles. So basically what you're seeing is many countries putting hurdles uh, for other countries or uh, being wary of the hurdles that other countries put in, right? So that's why there is this geopolitical significance. The other geopolitical significance is just related to Taiwan's central role in the semiconductor supply chain. And because you China-Taiwan tensions have risen, there is a fear that, you know, since a lot of manufacturing happens in Taiwan, what happens if China were to occupy or even if just that there are tensions uh, between the two countries? So the economic imperative is also interesting. There is a lot of concentration in the supply chain like i said in each of these stages you know there are uh, many this design manufacturing research uh, then there is assembly test and packaging there are just 
two or three companies which have a large market share even though they are globally spread so there is a business continuity risk you know what happens if asml a company which supplies really cutting edge uh, manufacturing equipment to make leading edge chips what if asml delays shipments to other countries you know there is uh, this is a fear shared by many many uh, uh, countries and companies now it wasn't a problem until now because the world order was stable the trade was taken for granted things just happened even though this was globally diversified but now recently there are fears about geographic concentration because of these business continuity risks. Rane, that's a, that's a great overview of, of the importance of semiconductors uh, and why they matter to geopolitics. One of the interesting developments is we have seen countries talking to each other now about the supply chain. You know, the US and South Korea, Australia, Japan, India as well, discussing the supply chain, discussing cooperation on the semiconductor industry as well. These are countries that, you know, one would assume are, are allied in some way, you know, economically, politically, etc. Why are we beginning to see these alliances of some sort being formed? Is it because of the recognition of those factors that you said? And how much, of course, is it about the perceived threat of the rise of China from a technological perspective? Yeah, I think a lot of it is to do with China. uh and you know uh, so in the initial phases if you see a lot of countries the immediate response uh, when covid-19 struck and you know there was su- supply chain shortages a lot of countries were thinking you know can we build uh, our own ecosystem you know that was the immediate first reaction but as we just discussed because the supply chain is so complex there are very good economic reasons for why things happen the way they do uh, it's just uh, foolhardy to try and do everything locally you would require massive government support year on year right like just if you would have seen uh, tsmc fab which does 5 nanometer uh, fabrication in the us would require 12 billion dollars and it will start production only 3 4 years from now and the government would have to keep doing this year on year you know to uh, make it suitable and uh, that to manufacturing a chips in the us is around 30 40% costlier than it is in taiwan you know so there are these reasons why it doesn't make sense to go alone so the way i put it is plurilateral uh, cooperation in this sector is jo- not ju- is a necessity and not just a choice you know so lot of countries now are coming to the view that you need to have cooperation uh, across many countries utilize the comparative advantages of various countries and then string together an alliance that can develop secure chips you know so that's why what you're seeing is for example the chip 4 alliance which is being talked about recently so south korea is a leading memory chip maker uh, japan has all the expertise in really manufacturing equipment and materials that go in uh, and taiwan as we know does great in advanced manufacturing and us is lead really the design behemoth in this sector you know so if you have the comparative advantages of various uh, countries put in together then you can build a supply chain which is secure uh, and uh, yes the immediate reason for all this is definitely china because if you look at the entire technology stack of china um, there is a lot of uh, 
development in many sectors where they are sort of trying to compete with the US. But on semiconductor manufacturing, that sort of one Achilles heel uh, for China. Let's dig into that a bit more. You gave a great overview of the strengths, of the comparative strengths of the US, South Korea, and Japan. We know they are they are very strong, and of course Taiwan in manufacturing. We with TSMC, we know they're incredibly strong. Uh, with China over the years, it's sought very hard to try to catch up in so many of these areas. Um, but it has lagged behind in so many of these areas. What do you? What are the impacts of two things? Firstly, the sanctions we're seeing from the U.S. on uh, Chinese companies, in particular, when we talk about export bans. Uh, you know, it's hard for a company like SMIC, China's largest contract chip manufacturer, to get the most you know, advanced extreme ultraviolet lithography tools, for example, which stops them from producing the most advanced chips. Um, and secondly, what is the impact of these alliances or what the, what will be the impact of these alliances that are being formed on a geopolitical level on the development of China's own semiconductor ecosystem? In my uh, view, I think over the short term, China's uh, development in this sector will be severely constrained. but over the long term, I do think they will uh, be able to overcome some of the current challenges, and but yet they won't be able to reach the cutting edge uh, that many other countries are. So that's a short answer. But let me sort of dwell deeper why I say that. Uh, so if you look at the entire semiconductor supply chain, again, you have to look at design in China, manufacturing in China, and then assembly test and uh, assembly test and packaging. So in the last section, the assembly test and packaging, China does reasonably well. It has uh, a lot of facilities because that is uh, really a sector which requires uh, a lot of labor, a lot of cheap labor, a lot of uh, competent cheap labor, I would say. So that's where China is at its strength and they really have done well there. Uh, design is something where there's a lot of recent interest because of the current sort of uh, fears and the Make in China program, the idea that, you know, this is one critical sector. So uh, that's where uh, you, if you see lots of local government investment has happened in that, uh, there are everyone from food manufacturing companies to others investing in this sector because government has sort of put in money. There's a lot of crowding in of investment. So that has sort of led to a lot of design firms coming up. There are a lot of failures as well. But I do see some of them might be able to pick up. You know, there'll be a lot of failures, but some will be able to proceed. But I think the real challenge is in manufacturing. And that's where uh, even though SMIC has been able to uh, do a lot of uh, manufacturing uh, in, in the sense they can do 14 nanometers, etc. There are news of them getting to 7 nanometers. But these, we need to differentiate between the ability to be able to produce a chip and the ability to be able to produce it in mass quantities. A mass quantity production requires a, a recipe which you need to perfect over time. It requires a lot of international collaboration, etc. Which I think is now a big problem for China because of the way China uh, has sort of antagonized neighbors, antagonized the uh, world in many respects. So because of that, what we are now seeing is that what China could do three, four years earlier in terms of international collaboration won't just be possible now. You know, So really, we didn't talk about EDA countries just supplying some tech to China was not a problem at all, right? But in the new world, 
that is a problem so what you're seeing now is uh, the eda is basically softwares which is used for designing chips so those uh, there are just three companies in the world who do that uh, uh, you know at really cutting edge all of them are in the west two in the us uh, third in the us but a german company now they have sort of uh, when you saw huawei uh, the entire issue or huawei uh, huawei couldn't access some of the design uh, some of the eda vendors because of the export control uh, regimes etc and that really set it back you know so huawei's uh, semiconductor manufacturing and that unit has sort of taken a big hit Xinhua Unigroup is another one which has taken a hit. So I think in the short term, there's a definite uh, sort of setback to China's uh, plans. In the long term, they might be able to overcome some of these challenges, but they'll still be some way behind uh, other countries. We're just going to take a very quick break to bring you this short message. Subscribe to the Squawkbox Europe Express podcast. Join Steve, Karen and myself, Arabile, in unscripted and dynamic debate around the day's top stories with first and exclusive interviews of the best in business and global newsmakers, original points of view and instant analysis of the latest business news and key market themes. Get set for the day ahead. Squawkbox Europe Express podcast, now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Um, and so we've spoken about China now and the, obviously the strengths of, of US, Japan, South Korea um, and why they're talking about alliances. But what about uh, two other places I want to talk about? India first and uh, the EU second, because um, we know that for many years, uh, you know, many of these countries have had strength in uh, semiconductor industry. But India, uh, it's not necessarily been somewhere where they've really played heavily in the semiconductor supply chain, yet they are trying to get themselves involved in in some of these geopolitical uh, alliances around semiconductors. So what's wh- what do you see the role of India as uh, going forward when it comes to, to the geopolitics of semiconductors? Yeah, I think India has a crucial role to play because, you know, out of the top 10 semiconductor companies by revenue, seven have design centers in India. In fact, right in the city that I'm speaking out of. Uh, And a lot of semiconductor design uh, capability requires, it's basically a human capital intensive process, requires a large amount of trained engineers. And India does that, you know. In fact, what you will see is, even if uh, even things in the US, for example, there's a Chips and Science Act, which puts in massive investment, but there are not enough people to do those things. And the, a lot of that manpower is going to come from countries who, who are, which are allied in, not allied, but in good terms with each other, you know, and uh, India plays that role. So uh, on semiconductor design, I have no doubt that India has a big role to play. Uh, what we are now seeing uh, from the Indian government side is, trying to take the next step. We have design centers of international firms, but India doesn't have a lot of intellectual property which can be termed Indian, you know, because these are companies uh, from other countries which are doing this. So now the next step is the effort to build an ecosystem where there is uh, some Indian IP by Indian companies, etc. So there's a scheme, uh, a government program for design, there's a government program for manufacturing, and there's a government program for assembly test and packaging. So they want to play on 
all stages of the semiconductor supply chain. I think the returns on that the mileage will vary. I think on design, uh, they, we have a comparative advantage. So India can get on that quickly. On manufacturing, I think we will we might see one or two fabs coming up. They'll be trailing edge fabs. On a lot of other fabs, India will require collaboration with other trusted partners. And that's why the developments on the quad front on the semiconductor supply chain initiative are quite promising because, again, India, Australia, Japan, and US have a very good complementary strength based comparative advantage that they can draw upon. You know, so that is a useful thing I see. And assembly test and packaging is another thing which can take off. But what has kept it back is again. Uh, the business uh, policies, the tax regimes, the trade policy that of India, which make doing business uh, difficult, you know. So uh, if those things are, there's an effort to sort of change that. And if that happens, I think we will see a lot more action from India there. But coming to the EU, I think, uh, again, EU is does massively well in the upstream part of the supply chain, right? So R&D, uh, there's IMEC in Belgium, which does a lot of cutting edge R&D on, uh, you know, next generation chips, etc. Okay, has ARM, which is, you know, the instruction set which powers most of our phones. And there are uh, a lot of automobile firms which are there in uh, Europe, uh, which are actually sort of, the end users of a lot of technology which is used in semiconductors. You know, so uh, Europe, again, in design, in R&D has strength. It has not done so well on the leading edge manufacturing, which again moved to Taiwan. So now there is an effort to sort of win back some players, at least get some manufacturing going and reviving it. So the way I see it, there will be lots of experiments over the next few years. Some will, uh, a couple of them will succeed. A lot of them will fritter away. Uh, but what would be a lasting change is some cooperation which happens across countries. And you mentioned Taiwan there again, and we've spoken about it through this conversation. You know, the most important chip manufacturer in the world, the leading edge chip maker is TSMC in Taiwan. And what's interesting is uh, we've spoken about geopolitics and the countries involved in this. Um but where do companies fit in? You know, you've got some uh, company like TSMC. They have operations on the Chinese mainland. They're building a plant in the U.S. No doubt the EU is trying to, uh, you know, build, get them to build something as well on EU soil. Um, but that then leaves them in, in a precarious position, doesn't it, Prane? Because you've got issues between uh, tensions between the China between China and the US and and other nations uh, you've got a company that is operating across many jurisdictions um, that may be that may be quite tough and and does it mean I mean going forward that companies then you know in the chip space will, will ultimately have to pick sides yeah so TSMC is sort of the most important company that very few of us had heard just a few months ago right and now it's there everywhere in the discussions but the way i see it see uh, tsmc is a really important player because in this sector what you need is one big investment and you need to spend knowledge decades you know it's not something which you can just uh, perfect uh, if you put a big amount of money and two three years you are there uh, uh, doing all this stuff you know because a critical thing is getting chips manufactured at a yield, which is, you know, how many of them actually do the 
process that you want and requires uh, insane amounts of purity in water process etc so what tsmc has done is perfected that you know it's just like the example i like to give is there are many companies which make burgers but there's only one mcdonald's which does with that process efficiency at a scale which is uh, spread across the world right so tsmc is sort of that it has mastered that right so other countries and companies are trying to catch up and probably they might but it will take some time you know it's not going to happen soon uh, uh, so what we are seeing now is yes a lot of countries wooing tsmc to uh, sort of establish a base there but uh, tsmc also realizes that the thing that gives them advantage is being able to manufacture cutting edge chips based out of taiwan you know so i don't think that is going to go away any time soon they might have uh, some say for example now there's a 5 nanometer chip plant which might come up in arizona in 3 4 5 years but by that time 5 nanometers won't be the cutting edge chip there will be 2 nanometers 1 nanometers even sub nanometers so that they would still want to locate in taiwan because that sort of makes taiwan and tsmc important you know so uh, that i think will still continue that strategy will still continue but for now i think lots of countries are wooing tsmc so in, in that sense it is a good for them you know because they can decide what they want to do uh, of course the critical element for them is relations with china because uh, still raw materials come from china you know uh, what people don't realize is that even though ics are the biggest exports of taiwan the ics are also the biggest imports of taiwan you know because you need chips to make other chips so you need equipment so uh, some of them might be coming from china materials might be coming from china so what they would want to do is balance those risks if they are able to access that from other countries so that i think is a risk but uh, i see tsmc still playing an important role uh, in the years to come But if you look I guess more broadly at the semiconductor space you know there is a risk for many companies maybe not TSMC but those along the supply chain perhaps of feeling some form of um political pressure right you know we saw reports that um the US government had pressured ASML um which is an incredibly important part of the supply chain not to um not to export the key uh extreme ultraviolet lithography machine out to SMIC in China um you know the, we is there a chance and risk we see more of these kind of episodes happening over the years definitely yes i agree the geopolitical angle in this sort of makes to uh, doing business like it was 4 5 years ago it's not it's just not possible going ahead because once you attach this lens of something being strategic quote unquote uh then you know the primary sort of determinant for what companies can do cannot do becomes geopolitical so for example if you see the uh, export control list related to russia uh, because of the uh, russia ukraine war a lot of it is to do with blocking russian military's access to semiconductors and just a couple of days ago there was a great article on this which said that you know that's really hurting uh, russia's uh, defense industrial complex they are not able to access chips chips are being removed from you know washing machines etc to at least get the old tech working so that is definitely a risk but that's a world we are in you know uh, earlier uh, when there is stable trade stable world order a lot of these things happen uh, smoothly you know and that's one reason why the supply chain worked out the way it did but with the current situation there will be concerns 
Uh, and that's why I say the only way out of it is some sort of plurilateral cooperation, at least among trusted partners to begin with, small groupings. And then you can expand that circle uh, with other trusted partners as uh, developments happen. But as long as we are trying to do this separately, there'll be severe uh, challenges. And Pranay, just a final question. Um, you cast your mind forward about five, 10 years. What does the semiconductor supply chain look if we continue to move the way we're moving? I think one critical element which gets talked about quite less is the importance of human capital in this entire sector. You know, uh, finally, you are going to require uh, a lot of uh, movement of uh, talent across the uh, across at least the countries which are cooperating in order to get uh, a lot of developments in semiconductor sector so what uh, the, it plays on the other side as well you know as long as the us china rivalry continues uh, you might see certain instruments being used you know for example if the aim of a country is denial uh, of uh, chip technology to another country, you will see instruments like secondary sanctions, uh, restrictions on movement of high-tech labor, um, you know, export controls, end-use restrictions, which are already in place. Uh, and then there is investment restrictions, so incoming investment restrictions. So those things are there. Uh, and if the aim is to outpace an adversary, then you might see things like, uh, you know, building partnerships to create resilient supply chains. Uh, you might see some sort of uh, industrial espionage as well to get ahead of uh, other countries, to get the technology of others. And the things that I'm saying, uh, they are already, there are news items about these things happening, but I see all of these intensifying. What I do see is right now, there is a lot of euphoria in investing in the, the sector because there is this narrative of semiconductor supply chain shortage. So the shortage did exist, but over the next couple of years, you might actually see lo a lot of investment has been done in the intermediate period. And what you will see is a lot more supply coming online. And then what will happen is uh, there will there might be a slump. Uh, and then you might see this interest going away a bit uh, from the economic side. But politically, the, uh, the uh, you know, die is cast now in the sense that a lot of countries uh, do want some sort of capability, some secure supply chains. And there's this geopolitical angle will mean that what could happen in the past uh, is unlikely to continue for the next 10, 15, 20 years. There'll be a lot of geopolitical angle fighting and some of the instruments that I told you from the geopolitical perspective will be deployed and you'll see a lot of that happening over the next few years. For China, it's going to be tough given the fact that a lot of other countries have now decided that, you know, um, uh, and for these are four reasons that China has brought upon itself, that uh, a lot of other countries will find other alternatives and you will see that playing out. So uh, in the technological sector, semiconductors will be a front on which the tech war between China and the rest of countries takes place. Pranay, that's fantastic insight. Thank you uh, so much for your time and for joining me. Thanks, Arjun. Thank you. So it's clear that the semiconductor space is getting more political. You know, for countries, it's about securing their supply chain. For many, it's about securing that supply of chips as well. For the US, it is that. But it's also about trying to regain their leadership position in the industry at the same time uh, trying to stop the rise of China. China seen by several countries as the main threat from a technological uh, standpoint. Another debate perhaps for another time, of course, is uh, where these individual companies uh, 
fit in. We had we spoke about it a bit there in that discussion with Prane about how companies get dragged into the geopolitics and effectively whether they need to pick sides or not. That's going to be a key question, a key story to watch going forward. What are your thoughts? What do you think about this episode? What do you think about some of the things discussed? You can reach out directly to me. I'm on Twitter at Arjun Karpal. You can also comment below if you're watching this on our online platforms too. But that's it for another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. Thanks for watching and listening, and I'll catch you next time. Beyond the Valley.